there, and welcome to another edition of the 1% Better Podcast with your host, Rob O'Donoghue. Hey folks, welcome back to the 1% Better Podcast. I am recording this on Monday morning, the 1st of May, start of summer. The weather certainly is 1% better here in Cork this morning, and I hope wherever you're listening to this, you have uh, similar circumstances weather-wise. So there's been a good reaction to the Nashville Vox Pop, which were released last Friday. Good funny show. Hopefully you uh, enjoyed listening to it. If not, please give it a listen. I think you'll you'll get a bit of a giggle out of it, as well as some uh, 1% better tips from the good folks of Nashville. So moving to a new batch of recordings, and this is uh, probably the first of those, and it is with Lisa Fallon. So Lisa Fallon is primarily the first team analyst for Cork City and also for Northern Ireland. She has a business development management role for Cork City where she's effectively working full time and she also creates motivational videos for both sides in her spare time. So she's a very busy lady. So I know Lisa doesn't often do podcasts or radio interviews, probably never done a podcast before uh, and especially none in this length or or in-depth detail. So thanks so much, Lisa, for agreeing to do this with me. It was a great conversation. During the conversation, I'll just give you a couple of quick bullet points that we talked about. Lisa's burning passion for football started at a very young age. Her brothers played football. Her grandfather was very much into it. She'll talk about that. She mentions a turning point uh, at the young age of 12 when she watched the uh, Liverpool versus Arsenal title decider in 89, uh, one that uh, brings back fond memories for me as an Arsenal supporter. But she watched this in a, a hotel near Dublin Airport where the Irish team were staying at the time. And she spent the game with the likes of Frank Stapleton and Tony Cascarino. So it's certainly an impactful memory. From there, Lisa talks about winning a, a radio competition where she got to do an interview with Frank Stapleton, continually adding to her passion around football. She had a, a job as a runner on Sports Stadium in her early career. She moved to the UK, went to university over there, played soccer, football professionally uh, for a time there, uh, and then moved back to Ireland a few years after university. She felt the time was right. It was from there she got a job as a reporter with Independent News and Media. Uh, She worked in that for a number of years, and it was there, really, she got her big break. She started to do reporting on matches and some analyst work in her role. She interviewed Michael O'Neill, who was then the manager of Shamrock Rovers and now manager of Northern Ireland. And again, that was another massive turning point for her. I honestly leave it there because there's so much information in the in the show that I hope I've just whetted your appetite with. We do talk about her habits, decision making deeply, which is, is something I, I kind of probed into a lot. Overall, a great conversation and I'm sure it's one that you'll really, really enjoy. Again, thanks to Lisa for her time in the recording and I hope you enjoy it on this uh, lovely sunny Monday. Take care. So welcome to another edition of the 1% Better podcast with, uh, with me, Rob O'Donoghue. I am delighted to be here today with Lisa Fallon. So Lisa, let me just give you an introduction and then you can tell me which one of these works best, okay? Okay. Okay. Um, so your first team analyst slash assistant coach, I took this from your Twitter account, uh, and motivational videos for Cork City and Northern Ireland. There's kind of three things there. Yes. Which would be the one you lean to most? Well, I suppose predominantly I am the first team analyst um, and I would do analysis for both Cork City men's team and the Northern Ireland men's national team. And then the motivational videos are something else that I do in addition to that work. And in addition to that, then I'm also the business development manager at Cork City Football Club. So I'm here full time. So that's one that you couldn't even fit on your Twitter introduction. No. Cause it's just <laughs> it's only characters. So yeah, many yeah. characters, yeah. Um, so Twitter breaks down there. So look, thank you so much for agreeing to do the show. No um, delighted to have you on. Uh, maybe just to start off, just elaborate a little bit on the role, how you actually got to where you got to now, just in the, in the last you know few months or so, the successes that have come with that before we kind of take a right back to uh, the earlier years? Well, I suppose I've been working in professional men's football for, I'm going into my seventh year now. So it really started in 2011 when I did an interview with Michael O'Neill, the current Northern Ireland manager. He was the Shamrock Rovers manager at the time. And I 
interviewed him before a game against Flor Italian in the Champions League. And I was asking him about, you know, their, I suppose the challenge they had of, whereas in League of Ireland football, they would be so used to having the ball. Their percentages in some games would have been up to 80% with the ball. But going into Europe, their discipline and the shape that they would need without the ball because they weren't certainly weren't going to have the ball in Europe as much as they would be climatized to it and he probably really only had three days to sort that out with them okay so I was asking him about that and I suppose about the motivational challenges that that brought right um and psychological challenges and um after the interview he kind of asked me where the questions had come from and I said well I thought they were kind of obvious and he he just felt that I had some sort of a coaching background or an eye for um, a technical or tactical side of the game. And they flew to Tallinn that day. And then they he phoned me from there that night and asked to meet me the following week. And then literally when I met with them, then they wanted me to go in as the assistant manager of the new women's National League team at Shamrock Rovers, which was a new departure for them at the time. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't sure. Okay. I was coaching with P-Mount at the time mm-hmm. and P-Mount would have been very good stock in women's football at that particular yeah. time and still are. Yeah. And um, so I was in two minds. I wasn't sure if it was a, mm. a forward step. So he said that I could go and I could watch first team training and I could, he would go through the preparations for the games and that way I would learn. Okay. And that for me then was the draw. So I started working for I started in that capacity then and at the same time I was working as a full-time sports reporter mm. and literally from there it it es- it, it just rolled from there yeah. um it, at, around the same time I was also doing a little bit of analysis for John Caulfield mm-hmm. when he was at UCC mm-hmm. um when Michael moved to Northern Ireland he asked me to go in and okay. and do some work for him which obviously I was delighted Great to do yeah. and um and same with John Caulfield when he got the Cork City job he mm. asked me would I come on board and I was a- again delighted and really that's where I am now I've yeah. literally just gone with the flow and they're not certainly not jobs I went after yeah, yeah, but yeah. they're jobs I found myself in that's cool. and really I decided once I got in there, I loved what I was doing and I wanted mm. to be the very best at what I was doing and to make sure that, you know, if, as long as they were still in jobs, that I was going to be there as well. And and really yeah. that, that that's where I am now and I'm still working for, for both. Yeah, excellent. You mentioned striking kind of words like around motivation and psychology and around the analysis. I want to dig into some of where maybe that came from maybe as we kind of get through your journey a little bit, but where did the passion for football, soccer, analysis, all of that originate? Well, football's always been in my life, okay. always for as long as I can remember. I think one of my very, very first memories is, I think I might have been about four, and my granddad was managing a team, and right. my two uncles, my mum's brothers, were on the team. And like you'd be sitting there on Sunday for Sunday dinner and it was there'd always be, soccer as well though, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah and yeah. there'd be just mayhem in the house if they hadn't won. Mm. One of them played centre half and the other one played as a striker. So one or other of them was or gonna be in trouble for them, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was I just always had that there and I used to there's there's really I give my my age now, but there's cine camera footage okay. of my granddad walking up the line. With his hands behind his back, a bit like Dinio at Glenrow. I don't yeah. know if you ever saw that, I but do, yeah. and I'm literally walking behind him with my hands okay. behind my back, and everything he would shout at the players, I was doing the same. So, uh, like, football has just always been there. I've never known my life without it. Mm. It's just always been there. Mm. Um, I always loved it. I always had a passion for it. There was always great passion for it in the house. Sure. You know, the, the, it was just always there. Yeah. So um, it was just something I grew up with. So it just very naturally became part of my life. Um, and and then I suppose 1989 was probably a turning point for me in okay. terms of motivation. Right. And I was 12. So okay. I was really quite young at that stage. But I remember in, um, my mum used to work in Finstown House Hotel 
Okay. And the Irish team used to stay there. Okay. They stayed there before Euro 88. Right. And in the World Cup qualifiers then in 89 and 90. Mm-hmm. And I remember it was May the 26th and Liverpool were playing Arsenal. In I a, remember. I was 11 actually at the time. So <laughs> just show my age as well. But uh, yeah, I remember that. It, well. it was a big game and my mum was going up to work and the babysitter cancelled. So we had to go up with her. And I remember we, I was saying I wanted to watch the match. Yeah. And Frank Stapleton was there and he was going, she can watch it with us. Wow. So I was like, okay. And I remember going into this room with the Irish soccer team to watch Liverpool against Arsenal in what was a massive game. Yeah. And I just remember Tony Cascarino took off his runners and put them up on the sofa, his feet up on the the sofa beside me and his feet absolutely stank right, like they were, it was awful and then I just remember Mick Byrne the physio yeah. walking in with his arms full of Scott's clam right. sweets and I and he threw, yeah and he threw me he threw bags of sweets out and everyone's going I give the kids a bag and I remember sitting there with this match about to start looking around the room going oh You're my god do you know what yeah. Anything is possible in yeah. life. Just anything is possible. And that to me, that game was a massive turning point, even the game itself, because mm-hmm. it was a game that Liverpool were shoe in to win. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. Arsenal, everyone had them written off. Mm-hmm. And and O'Leary was playing with Arsenal. Now Quinn was with Arsenal was. at the time. Like, yeah. And I think Ray Houghton, Steve Staunton, Ronnie Whelan. John Aldridge were in that oh, Liverpool were, team. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And um and I suppose you know, everything, everything was geared towards Liverpool winning that year. Yeah. And Arsenal won the game two nil yeah. by, by the, the minimum margin that they needed to win in order to win the league. Yeah. And it was a last minute winner. And it just on so many levels that day mm. just taught me that anything is possible. Well, and all of it was football related. Yeah. And from there, I really thought, football, that's yeah. where you want to be. Like to know. be with the Irish national squad watching that iconic game. I was watching it at home and remember it like yesterday as well. Yeah. But I suppose having that extra connection with professional footballers and sensing the the feelings that they were, I guess, having must have obviously had a big impact on the forming years, I suppose. So, so that was a big part. From there, you moved on. Like I presume, were you playing much football at that stage? Oh, yeah, I was. Pl- I played for my school teams. There wasn't really any girls' teams, so I think I was playing for boys' teams. And then when I moved into secondary school, I asked them to set up a, a girls' soccer team. Okay. And they did. And so I was playing then for the school, Luton Community College. And, and really, but from there... That's kind of when I just felt I was really in love with the game then. Right. Like, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was all I wanted to do. It was just all I wanted to do. And I didn't know what I wanted to do in football. I just knew yeah. I wanted football in my life. Yeah. And how did that, you know, with your classmates and other girls, I presume that was, you know, quite unique for a girl in school to be just 100% focused on a career in sport or football? Yeah, it, it was. And um, and I remember, actually, I think it was in the September of 1989, no, Ireland were playing against West Germany mm. and um, in the in Lansdowne Road. Friendly, wasn't it? Yeah. Frank Stapleton scored it. That's right, yeah. yeah. And Liam Brady was taken off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He, got, he wasn't happy about no, that, I think. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, but I remember I the week before that game, 2FM had a program called The Breakfast Show on Saturday and Sunday mornings, Theresa Lowe and Peter Collins. Okay. And they said that if any girls wanted to ring in and do a book review, right. they could. Or if any boys wanted to ring in and do a, a football match review, they right. could. Okay. So I rang in and said, why can't I do the football match review? Okay. So they said, okay, you can. You still have footage of this? Uh, I do. I still have yeah. the tape, yeah. And... Um, I still have the the written report I, I wrote, and uh, so I did. I did them. I went to the game. They, they, I remember they rang me and they said, "Oh, the game's on TV." And I said, "No, no, I'm going." I, I would always go. It was brilliant. I used to go to the South Terrace. Right. I didn't really much like 
sitting in the stands. I yeah. liked to be in the terrace, but I was too small. I was really small. <laughs> so <laughs> what I used to do was we would buy two cans of club lemon okay. and I would stand on them. And then if Ireland scored, obviously, that was it. The two cans were gone and and people had wet legs around me. But yeah, that was, I always used to do that by two Mm. cans of uh, club lemon and stand on those in the South Terrace in Lansdowne Road. And that was, but um, but yeah, so that was that game. And then I remember the following month, the Republic of Ireland playing against Northern Ireland in a World Cup qualifier Mm -hmm. in October. And again, they asked me, would I do the game again so I said yeah absolutely and I remember I was up in the hotel and I was telling Frank Stapleton about it like I was going oh I'm going to do this and he said wouldn't it be great now if you had an interview with yeah with the Ireland captain I was like oh yeah I would actually so anyway I rang them up and I said look he's happy to do an interview with me for right. before the game so we did that and it was really bizarre because the the interview took place actually in the airport hotel the old airport hotel as it was then and um it was kind of surreal because I had to do the interview with him on the top table and the other journalists were in the room okay but I was seem I was the only one that was allowed to ask the questions right so it was kind of but they had to take their feed for me yeah. so it was um so I did that and then the next day, Ireland played against Northern Ireland and I wrote out the match report and it was funny all these years later. I found it a few years ago mm. and I read it and the only player that I gave any credit to out of the Northern Ireland team was Michael O'Neill. Wow. That's bizarre, isn't it? Was, it? it was funny like that. It Fate just almost, come it? full circle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like I said, that year with the Liverpool and Arsenal game, being in the same room as the Irish team watching that game, the the whole thing about doing the radio reports and getting to interview Frank Stapleton, who would have been one of my heroes, of my childhood heroes. Yeah. And uh, that year was a game changer for me because that year I really believed anything was possible if you, one, asked the question. Yeah. Or number two, worked hard enough to get it. Yeah. And... It was a lesson I learned when I was 12. So I was lucky in some respects to get a lesson like that mm. so early on. But from then on, I always felt I could achieve anything. Brilliant. Yeah. So the teams that are coming out, as I said, before we got on, um, is hard work. It's constant across yeah. everything, you know, and it totally sounds uh, true in your case. And and being curious and asking questions uh certainly opens up possibilities as well. So that's that's a really good... If we stopped it right now, we'd have some really good learnings from that, but we're not stopping right now. So um, so was, was was English or like journalism or reporting obviously became that passion? Was that something you kind of started to pursue then throughout secondary school or how did yeah, that develop? Yeah, I started running, do, I started working on Sports Stadium as it was back then. Myself and Royal Nugent were runners oh, yeah. on the programme. Cool. Yeah, so we used to go and make the tea for George Hamilton and Fred Cogley and all of those guys right. and um, and the guests and print scripts and run on and hand them scores and stuff. So okay. I used to do that. And then I suppose I always did that all the way through my um, teenage years and still played football all the way through. And I suppose I probably thought, it was probably then that I thought maybe sports reporting was the way for me to get into sport or to get into football. Okay. Um, because there wasn't really any other way. Mm. You know, I was never going to be a player playing mm. at the top level of the game. And even if I was, it wouldn't be the same. Right. Um, and I just, I think that was really when sports reporting became the obvious route okay. for me to work in football. Mm. I thought about physiotherapy. I thought right. about going to study physiotherapy. But in the end, I went to the UK and I studied sports science and English. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and and that really, that became the route then, yeah. Okay. So was was the choice, because you played for teams in England, right? Yes. Were, so was that... Part of the reason why you went to the UK for, no, for that, or no. was it just the only time? No, I went you could do for it? the course. Okay, uh, I went for the course definitely. The reason I li- I liked that particular course was because I could do both. Right. I could do sports science, um, 
and English mm. so that I had a backup right. if, if I needed one. Because at the time, sports science was a very new thing. Okay. But again, it captured me. I just wanted to do that, you know. And mm. when I got to England, it was unusual because I was really young. I was I was only 15 when I started sixth year. Yeah. So I was 16 and had my leaving cert results. So I was too young even at that stage to go, even though I had a place yeah. in Canterbury. And they, um, so I had to wait for a year. So I went to Kloss to Ida in Finglas and I did association football and career management course there for the okay. year. Cool. And it was a massive learning curve. Had mm. to work very hard, but, you know, it was all lads, nothing unusual there. And, you know, it was just, just was what it was. I just rolled up my sleeves and got stuck in and, and what did that course entail a lot of running if I remember rightly <laughs> <laughs> a lot of running I'd say okay. that year changed my fitness levels for sure um but we did we did the SATs English and okay. maths obviously for um scholarships to the states I was offered a scholarship in the states but even still mm. it didn't deter me because I was very very determined to go to the UK Right. Um, and, uh, so I did that year and it was a fantastic year. Really, really enjoyed it. And, mm. um, and it prepared me, I suppose. It was, mm. I, there was definitely a bit of a transition for me in that year. Um, and prepared me for going to the UK. Okay. And even still, when I went over to England, I was only 17. Mm. So, it was bizarre, like you're in your halls of residence on the first night and you're just sitting there and, you know, no one to answer to. Yeah. No one, just all this freedom, mm -hmm. independence. It was mad, like, and I remember going into the bank and opening a bank account and they gave you a credit card and a bank overdraft and you're just going, wow. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but I was very... I didn't disrespect the freedom and the independence that I had. Right. I felt it was important to value them and make the most of them rather than mm. throw them away. And no, don't get me wrong. <laughs> I, I enjoyed my college years. Yeah. They were a good crack. Um, but at the same time, I was still very, very focused. Yeah. Like I used to get, there was an army barracks behind us, behind our halls. And I used to get up in the mornings at six and I would go, there was a hole in the fence and I would climb in under and I would go running with them right. when they were doing their, their runs in the, there was like an, a forest as part of the barracks. Mm. And I used to go in and I'd run with them and then come in, have my shower and then go down, have breakfast quarter to eight and then right. be in lectures wow. at nine. And sometimes you'd be going in and you'd be doing fitness training as your first lecture. Exactly. So yeah, yeah, yeah. you might be going out and doing intervals or whatever, but I just absolutely loved it. Wow. I loved all of it, mm. every minute of it. There's clear conviction there. I yeah. I can hear it totally from, from you. Was lon like loneliness doesn't sound like it was a thing that crept in when you were moved away from home for the first time. But no, I couldn't was, believe it. Like I yeah. was like in, in first year, we football was a module on the course. Mm. <laughs> like I, <laughs> to I watch just, it or to play it or just I, a bit of both. both. Or, yeah, like yeah. I, I couldn't believe mm. I was studying football like, and know, how to be better at it. Yeah. It's like it was living the dream like, it was yeah, yeah, it yeah, was yeah. and as much as I trained and as much hard work as I put in and the studying that you do and the crack you have with your friends mm. and you make friends for life at university sure. but I just loved every minute of it yeah every single minute of it was there ever a point you know sometimes when you start focusing on your hobby as a career you talk to people that then they fall out of love in some ways with that that's that's never been the case obviously for you no 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 I remember before my granddad died I remember it was um we used to go for a pint on a Saturday night or a Friday night down in his local right and like even I'd be 18 19 maybe even 20 at that stage and like my friends would all be out, out and I'd be gone down to yeah. my granddad's local with him, you right. know, and uh, I used to have great chats with him, like, you know, and I remember one time he told me, like he was, he was quite deep, mm. you know, he was a very honest man and I loved his honesty. Mm. I just, and I miss him mm. a lot because he was my rock yeah. in life and um, 
you know, I still miss him. But he, I remember him saying to me, you know, life's funny. Mm. You, you'll like, people will always be there, but they'll always come and go. Yeah. He said, and that nearly applies to everyone in your life. Mm -hmm. They will always come and go, whether they, whether it's by choice or otherwise. But he said, football never leaves you. It's there. No matter where you go in the world, there's always a game. Yeah. And no matter what happens in your life, there will always be another game. Yeah. And he said, you can fall in love with it. You'll hate it. Mm. You'll feel despair. You'll feel elation. And it's true. You do. You know, you feel all of those things when you're involved in football. Um, And maybe that's part of the attraction. Mm. But it is a constant. Um, And it's a constant challenge because no two games are ever the same. Mm. What you prepare for one game when you play one team it'll be different the next time you play them yeah you know and and that's that's what i love about it is that it is always different and it is an eternal challenge Mm. um and i don't know maybe maybe there's there's lots of reasons why you you've fallen why you become drawn to something but like i said the game to me has just always been there yeah it's um it's funny people would accuse me of having commitment issues, but I've said I've been supporting Arsenal for thirty three years at this stage and never fallen out of love with them. So I I think that's not the case. Um, <laughs> that's real commitment. Yeah, exactly. At the moment it is anyway. Um, so college life changing experience. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I learned to survive in college. Yeah. You know, because you had to you had to make decisions. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. You. You had to make choices. And I think that, do you know what? I think college was probably the biggest thing I took from college was not just surviving, because you had to survive, Mm -hmm. but you chose to survive or not. And so really from college, I learned that the outcomes in my life would be dictated by the decisions that I made. Did you ever? And that that was the biggest thing, because... Often people just don't make decisions, mm. but I'm not afraid to make decisions. And did you develop a, a decision-making kind of process or do you, you know, that you carried through in those years or how, how do you make decisions? I think, I think you base, you always make decisions based on what you know. Mm-hmm. So people often say, do you go with your gut? Mm-hmm. I think your gut is always determined by what you know. Mm. So if you have a good bank of knowledge, yeah. your gut will probably steer you towards a decent decision. Very true. You know, so yeah. I think if you make sure that you have enough knowledge to make a decision, mm. then you should be able to make the right one. Yeah. Whether you feel it's your gut that's telling you to do it or yeah. otherwise, I believe your gut is always driven by what you know it's good i'm reading a couple of books at the moment around intuition and did it does point to your intuition is basically a constant development of your experiences that's telling you this is the right way or the wrong way you know you don't necessarily have that when you're six or seven years of age but it is it's it's it's, it's, a, it's a good answer and um, i like it um so you were developing that as you went through those years and i think sometimes when you're on your own and you're Depending for yourself, you obviously have to learn faster and make those decisions. Um, so from there, straight out of college, what was the, the next turning point, maybe, or the next big I suppose when I, when I finished college, I was working in a bar called O'Neill's in Canterbury. And I had been kind of there, like as most people, working there, getting a few quid. Um, and... I was made team leader and then six months later I was the manager moved on and just through a personnel issue at the place I was the assistant manager at the time then and they offered me they asked me to take over the pub on a temporary basis Um, so I remember I was 21 and I had to go to court to get the license of the pub in my name And I remember taking a photo and sending it home that my name was above the door of a God. pub. And it was just, 
you know, at 21, that was quite a level of responsibility. Sure. I had 17 staff there and, but we had a fantastic team. It was, it was really brilliant. Right. Um, and it, it went well for me there. And then they offered me a job as assistant manager of O'Neill's in Leicester Square in London. Okay. But at that stage, I decided that if I was to make that decision, whilst the money would have been good, the lifestyle would have been amazing. I felt it was a, a fairly definitive move away from where I really wanted to yeah. be. And even at that stage, I still wasn't certain mm. 100% where I wanted to be. But I knew that wasn't where I wanted to be, mm -hmm. despite yeah. all the attractions. So I turned it down okay. and decided then that I was going to move to Southampton. Right. And I had an opportunity to play football there. So I had no job, mm -hmm. but I decided I was going to go to Southampton. So right. I went to Southampton and signed for them and started playing football. And then I got a job at Southern Auto Trader, which was um, owned by John Majewski, who owns Reading, Reading Football yeah, Club. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I went there and I was do I did tele sales and then I got promoted to field sales. And then I was there a while and they offered me... Um, another job I think it was a some sort of a management role a, a team leader a team mm -hmm. you know a, a team leader role and that was in 2001 and I just decided no right this isn't what I want I'm gonna go home okay and I felt that if I took that job I would have stayed in England um and I don't know why Okay. Again, it maybe comes down to this gut instinct mm -hmm. or just the knowledge that I had. Yeah. I loved my time in England. I had a great time there. Mm -hmm. Loved the football, loved the learning experience, loved the jobs that I had, made amazing friends. Yeah. But I just knew I I wanted, I felt the time then was right for me to come home. Okay. So I, th I think I was 25 then. Right. So I moved back to Ireland, transferred with Auto Trader to Auto Trader okay. in Dublin. Um, I went in there as a sales manager and um, so I was there and really that's when I kind of started playing, I, I suppose I was playing football and played, I started back playing, playing camogie as well okay. and um, so yeah, it was just good to be home and find my feet a little bit and then I started I applied for a job then in independent news and media okay. and I got that job. And, and was that on the strength of your your degree that you had done? No, that, okay. no, I just applied for it. It was a job that I just, I liked the look of it. Right. So I applied for it and I I um, I got that job and I was there for three years, maybe three years. Yeah. And... I loved the time there. I loved, and it was during that time that I got the break then in radio. Okay. And all the while, were you consciously or unconsciously developing this? I'm going back to what you said earlier on around motivational videos and the psychology of the game and how to analyze matches. Were you just doing that through no, watching? No, at that time okay. I was playing. Right. I was just playing. I wasn't coaching and coaching or analysis had never even entered my Into head at that stage okay. it wasn't even in the in the equation it was all just about playing the game you must um, have had a fascination for the, how the game was played as well though i watched i watched games like i i have a video collection you know the old vhs videos yeah. i have nearly 1500 of them oh, good Lord. every single republic of ireland match from 1987 onwards, wow. I have still yeah. at home, yeah. still have them, um, and lots of random games um, from those years. Mm. Um, and I, I just, I just watched them. I just and over and over again, over and over again. Wow. I would just watch games and look at what, why were, why were teams winning? Why were they not winning? What was the impact a player would have by not having him available? Yeah. What impact was it have on the team? And it wasn't that I knew what I was doing. It was yeah. just that just I loved watching football. Yeah. And um, and it's, it's actually funny. I've never thought about it this way before. But maybe maybe there was something in that because 
it was something I did. Like, I definitely did. I, I had a section in my sitting room at home when I was 12. Yeah. That was my videos and yeah. no one touched them. Yeah, no, it is. You know, it was. It, there has to be. You know, and I, I would maybe now that you say it, maybe it did go back that far. I didn't think it did, but maybe it did. Yeah, it's, uh, it's very interesting that sometimes you could be building up that without the the conscious knowledge of yes, when I go and then yeah. then something just happens. Yeah, and I did uh, my cruciate then for the second time when I was twenty seven, and I kind of knew then, and that's when I I think it was that I started to do my coaching badges. Right. Um. And yeah, yeah, it was 2006. I think I did my kickstart one. Okay. And I kind of started then to get into coaching. Um, but I still didn't know. I still, like, I didn't, yeah. I don't even think I knew that analysis existed. I did, I don't think I even thought it was done. Right. Do, do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, and really it was, it was only, like I knew, like you'd go and watch a game and you'd say, oh, this happened or they did this off the corners or whatever. And, mm. you know. It might the, have been around then those like, you know, the Sky Opta indexes and all of these kind of statistics started coming out. Yeah, they were probably the, the starting kind of all around. Moving stuff around on the screen. Yeah, yeah. I don't know, was that, did you see that? No, do mm. you know what, what actually happened was it was I, I <coughs> was writing for extra time that I, okay. and I had watched, I was involved with Shamrock Rovers at the time, um, in 2011, and I wrote a piece on Pauk Salonica. I had okay. watched them on a live feed on the Sunday night because <laughs> okay. Shamrock Rovers were playing them the yeah. following week, and I wrote a piece on them where I felt their strengths and weaknesses were and what I think, what I thought Rovers could maybe exploit. And right. um, I remember Michael rang me that night and he said, where did you get that information on <laughs> Pauk? And I just said, I watched them. Yeah. And he said, how did you watch them? And I just said, I, I just watched them on a live stream. But that, would, he, that stream would have been just a normal view. Obviously, yeah. if you're looking at the analysis, you're probably getting a different angle of yeah. the pitch and see where things are moving yeah. on. So you're just but he said it. that he had got three, two or three scout reports and he said he learned more about how they would play from my article, okay. which was funny, like, you know. Yeah. And, um, and I suppose... He possibly spotted some potential in me at that mm. stage that I didn't even know existed. Mm. Um, and then after that, he would give me little research product projects to do. And really, it, it kind of went from there, you know. Brilliant. Is, like, is there any methodology or process that you use to, to analyze a game? Or is that just through your own innate experience I just, and stuff I like that? I, the most important thing for me is obviously I have to watch the game and pick out certain things, but I have to watch the game through the eyes of the manager that I'm working for. So the way I would watch a game mm. for John Caulfield would be different to the way I would watch a game for Michael O'Neill. Mm. Um, and it's, it's very important that I, I watch the game the way they want it seen or for the, to extract the information that they want or that they need. Mm. And that's always based on what we have, what we're trying to achieve, what our objectives are. Um, How did you even come up to think of doing it that way? Is that something that they would have given you direction on? No, I think think that's something that happened naturally because I was working for different... Like, I was working... At the time when Michael left Shamrock Rovers and went to Northern Ireland, I started doing a little bit of opposition analysis for Aaron Callahan at Bowes okay. when I was finished at Rovers. Right. And it was, um, I remember Aaron was looking for different things. So some of the stuff I would put into a match report, he'd be like, oh, what about this? What did they do there? And I started to see quickly that like and the next time I went to a game I saw something I was like oh yeah he'll, he'll want to know that mm. and then whereas there were certain things I would put in for Michael that I wouldn't necessarily put in for Aaron yeah and then the same with John right. that again it you just learn what, what it is that for. they're what they want mm. and it's um and now I do it without thinking. Yeah. You know, I just know. You can flip into that mode. Of, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I know yeah. exactly what it is that they're looking for, what they want me to see. Mm. Um, okay. And Would you ever challenge them and saying, you know, I think 
this could be something you should of look course. for. Of course. Yeah, yeah. Of course. That's what they expect of me. Good. You yeah, know, yeah, they, yeah. <laughs> I don't think, you know, I, I'm no use to them unless I have an opinion. Yeah. Um, and I suppose it wasn't always easy at the start to maybe go, you know, I suppose, but that, that came. My confidence grew. Of course. Um, yeah. when I started to get better at it and or when I, when I really started to feel that I knew my stuff and if I felt that there was something I needed to say and say, no, I don't think they're going to play that way. I think they're going to play this way and this is why. Mm. But again, it comes back to knowledge. Yeah. Like, I wouldn't say that unless I really believed it. Sure. Because the amount of trust that exists is huge. Um, but it's very important that the information I give back is the right information. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I would kind of get at the start, I probably gave loads and was hoping they'd pick out the bits they wanted. Yeah. But now I don't really, I'm a resource there. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's very important that I have the right information mm-hmm. and that they can trust the information. So that if they ask me something and I say, it's this. They have to be able to trust that that information is right. That makes total sense. What would a typical day look like? So in uh, a day in the life at the moment? It depends really on matches dictate your week. Right. Really. The games dictate your week. Right. You know, and football is, it, football is, it's not a nine to five job. Mm-hmm. You do the work that has to be done. Mm-hmm whenever and wherever and that means that other things get put on hold you make sacrifices if people call them sacrifices you know it's football becomes number one and that's that's what it is John Coffey had a very similar answer to that one so that's uh, that's cool you know but 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 it is it is you know if if you work in football it does tend to take precedence Hmm. you know um within reason obviously but it is it's it's because of the nature of it it's an eternal pursuit yeah so you've never won Mm -hmm. because like i said the beauty of football is that there's always another game yeah so if you just won a game it's over. It's all about the next game straight yeah. away. Straight on to the straight next Straight away, yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. That's cool. I know we're up to about 45 minutes, believe it or not. Really? Flying by. Uh, so a few more, like lots more questions. Um, what, obviously the passion is coming out all the way through. What is it ex- that excites you the most about it? About football. About your role, about... Winning. Winning. It's all about winning. Winning football <laughs> matches, Yeah. Yeah. And that's what you do it for. Of course. It's to win. What's the, in the games? What do you, what, what part do you find the hardest? The toughest in, in, in the role in, in, in the, um, the world you're in? I suppose sometimes it can be hard towards the end of the season when you're away watching other games and you're missing the goals being scored and the, the, the supporters going mad and, you know, the, it's funny because like you're drawn to football because of the emotion that it brings out in you and you you become addicted nearly to that feeling when the goal goes in or when the full-time whistle goes and that feeling is why we love it yeah do you know it's like you're an Arsenal fan, so you've probably read Fever Pitch, and it's it's movie, you know it's yeah, it's there. Yeah, like yeah, it, yeah. it's it's a passion that it's very very difficult to explain what it is until somebody experiences it. Yeah. And I think my job often means that I'm removed from that. Well, hmm. I'm never really there for those moments. Okay, the moments that make it worthwhile. Right. If, if you it's know tough, what I mean, like though, isn't it? but you have to be motivated because I know they need me to do that job, and I need to be disciplined, and I need to not feel. Oh, I'd love to be there. It's very important that I'm really focused on what I've to do, yeah, and not distracted, and 
um, you know, that, that, that I'm there doing my role for the team. Yeah. And that in the earlier days, that, that was probably the hardest part. But mm. now it's just second nature to me now. Okay. You know, if I get, if I get to go to any of our games, yeah. it's a bit of a treat. It's a nice Do you know what I mean? It's, right. yeah, it's, it's, That's it's tough, like a bonus. Yeah. I never really thought of it. And didn't really get yeah. the concept of that. Yeah. So that that that's it. But like it's funny. Like I'd be there, and like Mick Ring, the the kit man, would always text me. Like nobody ever texts me during a match okay. ever. Right. So if my phone lights up at a game, I know it's Mick Ring. Technology that's coming in that has come in a little bit. I think generally is seen as a positive. It hasn't slowed things down. I know even the last weekend, I think there was a game in. Was it Spain were playing last week and they used new video technology? Video technology, and yeah. And it was like... Affected two of the goals. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you think that's something that's positive that would add to it? Or slow it things is, down? It is. If it, if it means that some decisions... If, if it means that more decisions are correct, mm. then great. Yeah. Because the stakes can be quite high in football. Very high, yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. But that's why we're that's why we love it too like i i enjoy the pressure of it i enjoy the fact that the stakes are so high mm. um and it's not something that i would be afraid of you know you have to take risks calculated ones mm. um but that's the nature of the game and i'd be you know as long as they enhance the correctness of the outcomes then fine yeah. but you know you don't want them to slow the game down or too much or to um what would you say negate the game or the the fluency of it mm-hmm. you know it's you you would just want them to enhance if you could be in another sport football didn't exist what what area what sport because i presume it would be sport i'd imagine what would what would be your secondary option? I enjoy hurling. I love okay. hurling and Gaelic football. Um, I do. I I really I played camogie, so I I really loved the game. I enjoy watching Gaelic football. I think it's become a lot more tactical the mm. last few years. Yeah. I think it'll be interesting to see the evolution of that and how that transpires over the next few years, um, because it defense became such a huge part of the tactics that invariably once teams become very defensive in order to win you have to do something attack wise and I think there's you know the the balance will tip the opposite way where people will start to become more attacking after they become more defensive and that's you know that yeah it can be so I think it'll be interesting to see how Gaelic football evolves I think it's very early in its evolution at the moment, but it's certainly evolving. It's yeah. certainly a different game now than it was 10 years ago. Yeah, that's interesting. I just wanted to have a an angle on that. Um, I'll go into some kind of rapid fire ones. Okay. Um, work-life balance. Kind of talked probably a bit about that already. How do you how do you juggle that? I guess your life is football, so it it's is, kind of, yeah. it's balancing all the time, yeah? Yeah, so I think, you know, I think people talk about balance, but... If you're happy with what you're doing, mm. it is balanced. Sure. You know? Yeah. It's, you know, and your mood will often be dictated by the games and the outcomes of the games. But it is important to have balance and it is something I do. Like I run. I, I would go running. Okay. Um, I do a lot of my thinking when I'm running. Mm-hmm. And um, I can't say I enjoy running, but I enjoy how I feel after I've been for a run. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, so I, I I I think you know keeping fit, spending time with family and friends is is obviously very important. Um, but usually, if I'm off, you'll find me at a game. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's that's cool. Like you know, if way. if I've got if, if I'm off, I shall go and watch a game. Yeah, very good. You mentioned the motivational videos. I kind of missed on that one. I'd like to just ask: they came about. Or, or how did they start coming about? Because you, you did some of them for the Northern Irish team. I do them you, for all their competitive games. Did you do that? Like, how did you start even down doing those? I did one or two. Um, and then when 
Michael started with Northern Ireland. He contacted me and asked me, I suppose he gave me one or two things um, and asked me what my feelings were on it and was did I feel that some sort of motivational material might help. Yeah. Um, so I thought about it and I came back to him then with an idea and he really liked it. So mm. he said, go for it. So I went for it and um, I sent it to him and he he was he really he really liked it so um and the players responded to it and they liked it and he felt it made a bit of an impact Mm. so i suppose from there on i just do them for every game yeah and obviously every game is different so what what goes into them is different it's unique to the game to who's around to what's going on to where you are in the group um you know i do them for cork city as well sometimes when we feel we might need one but they're very, very individual to the group. Sure. You know, there'd be lots of different things that would go into them. But again, they're they're all really unique because yeah. they, they were they're all so different. Sure. But there must be a psychology of course. behind it. Is yeah. that is that something you've done through the sports science? Is that something yeah, you've picked was, up along the way? Psychology or? certainly was part of the of the the sports science, but I don't know, maybe subconsciously I apply some of the principles from mm. that. Yeah. But I don't think about it like that. Sure. I I just, again, it's it's a funny, it's a you're going back following. to this thing of, you know, going with your gut. Yeah. But my gut is purely based on what I know about them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it, it's knowledge based. Yeah. It, yeah, it yeah. is but about knowing what, where we are, what we need. Yeah. And that making everything that goes into it relevant. Yeah. But I think that's, a, for me, a big thing that people should maybe go with their gut because it is actually a body of knowledge that's telling them to do something. Yeah, you know? but then your gut, Not all if you have bad information, yeah. your gut will go with bad information. Mm. So you have to, you have a responsibility to yourself and to the people that you're working for to make sure that mm. the information you have is good information. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can filter it, I guess, and bounce Absolutely. it off people before yeah. you make you have to find make sure. a decision. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 No, yeah. Uh, no, thanks for going into that a little bit. A um, few final ones. Yeah. Best piece of advice you've ever been given? Um, best piece of advice is probably never give up on it if you believe in it. Never. Mm-hmm ever give up because you're going to get setbacks all the way yeah um deliberate ones and ones by chance and again it comes back to decision making you can decide to let them be a setback or mm. to knock you off your stride or you can decide to go right yeah. um personally i see setbacks as a motivation to get better mm-hmm. um i'm not afraid to try things, not get them 100% right and, and then go again till I get them 100% right. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, yeah. it's not, um, I don't fear failure. Hmm. I get that. Do, do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. it's it, So that doesn't hold me back. It would be more a case of, um, you know, if you believe in something and you have the work ethic to go with it, you'll make it happen Mm -hmm. Mm. and you'll make it happen because you'll make decisions and you'll make decisions possibly based on your gut and your gut will be based on your knowledge. And if you've good knowledge, then you should be okay. Cool. I just really like the way this decisions and gut and knowledge all is coming together. It's the real standout thing. Um, What's the hardest decision you've ever had to make? I haven't had to make it yet. Oh, really? No. (laughs) They haven't been that hard so no, far, is it? No, to be fair, I think, you know, the, the journey that I've been on the last few years has really been a natural one. Mm. Um, I've just grown with the roles that I've been given and the opportunities that I've been given. And, you know, I'd be very grateful to get those types of opportunities because, you know, to work at the elite level of professional men's football is is not something that you would take lightly. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I'm very fortunate to have, you know, four, this is my fourth season with Cork City. Mm-hmm. You know, we've done well in the last four years and we're driving to Absolutely, yeah. to continue and, and improve again. 
Um, I've had two, I'm into the second World Cup qualifying campaign in Northern Ireland. We've had the European Championships. Um, you know, this is my fourth Europa League campaign this year. That's not experience that you take for granted mm-hmm. at all. Yeah. So, you know, I would be, I'd be very conscious of the opportunities that I've been given. Yeah. Um, to make the most of them, not just for myself, but for the people who gave me the opportunities in the first place. Mm. Where to next? Um, I think it's a funny thing, you know, people are always looking ahead, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, yeah. I think you're in the moment. I think you have to be sometimes. I don't yeah. think I, I, like people are always looking forward and striving for future things. I think sometimes you just have to take stock of where you are yeah. and make the most of where you are right now, because if you live in the moment, that will help your future. Yeah. You can't change the past, so there's no point in going back there. Um, and the future is is about opportunity, but you haven't, you don't have to deal with it yet. So mm-hmm. make the most of now, so that whatever does come in the future, you're going to be best placed to handle it. Yeah, I I'm laughing because from a meditation point of view, which I would do a lot of it, everything is just there is only right now, right? There is only the right, moment. okay, um, and even one or two of the the kind of guided stuff I would listen to would just talk about. It was as if you're kind of quoting from it and it doesn't yeah. sound like you are in that you probably don't listen do guide, but it's it's a it's a it's a really nice way of summarizing it. I got here because of opportunity and hard work. Really. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's and because people put their faith in you and you know they put their trust in you to do a good job for them. That's why I'm here. You mm-hmm. know, and like I said, that's not something I take lightly. So I have a responsibility to the teams that I am with to make sure the information is right, that it's good quality information, and that it's information that can help make a difference in a game. And if we can sway any margins in a game as a result of that information, that's what my job That's conviction there. I love it. Final question uh, around success. So when you think of success, do you think of somebody or or something or how, how how would you even potentially define it i think success is a very personal thing it's different th- it means different things to different people mm-hmm. to me success is about getting things right and making a difference i think if you make a difference that means what you've done is successful mm-hmm. so what you want is it to be a positive difference sure obviously yeah um but if you can make a positive difference, to me, for some people that might be winning a trophy, for somebody else that might be getting back from an injury, for somebody else it might be scoring 10 goals in a season, for somebody else it might mean the team scoring from some of the goals that are some of the phases of play that you recommended. It can be success is different to, to everybody. Yeah. But... I think when you're in a team and a group environment, success is based on the goals that everyone sets. Mm-hmm. And if you achieve, if everyone works hard to achieve those goals, then that's success too. So, okay. but I think, you know, for me, success is doing my job to the best of my ability for the for the teams that I'm working for. So with that, leaving it there, making a difference, as you said, uh, hopefully the this show, this episode will make a difference to some people as they listen to it, got some inspiration and some really good takeaways out of it. It's been really enjoyable and thanks so much for your time. No problem, anytime. Hey folks, so you're at the end of another episode. Thank you so much. I'm recording a new exit. Uh, For those of you that have listened to previous episodes, you uh, probably notice. If not, it's a new one. I'm now into double figures of shows, so I'm giving some thanks back to those that have given me feedback to help me improve the show. Again, I know there's so much more that we can do, and that will really be down to the feedback I get. So please keep that coming. As you're aware, or if not, you're going to be, there's lots of ways you can get in touch. You can email me at rob at robofthegreen.ie. Go to the website. There's a page for comments. I've got a few, but I'd love so many more. Uh, I'm on Twitter, at robofthegreen. Also on Instagram, 
at the handle Rob of the Green Facebook page. I would love to see more likes on that. And that's Rob of the Green as well. As I said before, I'm in Cork. As you've just probably listened to one of the episodes, you know a bit about me. If you have questions about me or anything at all you'd like to share i am all ears and look forward to hearing that so i wanted to wrap it up there thanks again so much please let your friends know about the one percent better podcast if there's been one thing that you've taken on board from the show so far that you've applied and that has actually made a difference in your life that would be hugely enjoyable for me to hear that this is why i'm doing it it's a great journey so far i feel it's only really starting and thanks to you uh, the listeners it's growing in popularity so look thank you have a great weekend have a great week and please come back for some more episodes thanks bye